Suicide is a tough topic, but the Washington County Reach for Hope Suicide Prevention Coalition wants you to know that there is always hope. We are a caring community reaching out to provide compassion and hope for a community free of suicide. In the next half hour, we'll talk with community partners to identify risk factors, raise awareness, and discuss prevention strategies. Hello and welcome to another edition of Reach for Hope. I'm Melissa Anderson. You know, our guest today is a sought-after presenter and author who focuses on neurology, mental health, stability, and how electronics are affecting our human brain, especially when it comes to our youth. With us today is Dr. Christy Kane, an expert in the field of psychology. And I'd like to say welcome to you, Dr. Kane, and thanks for agreeing to come all this way to be on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to join you. Tell me, first of all, a little where you're from, a little background about yourself and what you do. So I, uh, I run a mental health stabilization company. I'm, I live in Highland, Utah, and I spend most of my time, I do a lot of presentations across the country on helping people understand what's going on in our mental health today. Yeah. Now I've seen a TEDx presentation of yours where you talk to students, I think it was in Park City, Utah, about the smartphone generation. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you were talking about and how big of a problem has it become with our youth hanging onto those phones? You know, anytime we see spikes in depression, anxiety, suicide ideation as scientists, we start asking why, what's going on? And right now, teenage suicide is the second leading cause of death for our young people. We saw spikes increasing dramatically starting in 2007. And that's when the smartphone came into play. And since then, we're consistently seeing higher, higher rates of depression, anxiety. And one of the common denominators is this social media smartphone world. Mm-hmm. So how much time then do our kids spend on these phones? You know, I lecture all over the country and I used to have a slide that said 12.6 hours a day. And uh, that's accumulative. That's their video games, their, their, and that's not with school, uh, social media accounts and everything. Straight is around six to eight hours, but accumulative is 12.5. And parents used to argue with me and say, there's no way my child was on the phone for 12 hours. And I'm like, really? How often are you on yours? Right. And that when you're talking on your phone, not talking about talking, we're talking about mm-hmm. the technology, texting, mm-hmm. yeah. texting social media, Instagram. Um, now it's TikTok, all everything, you know, Facebook. So all what those things, what percentage of our youth actually have phones and how young are they starting at getting these? You know, 92 to 95% of our young people have smartphones and they're receiving them at younger and younger ages. I mean, you see grade school kids running around with smartphones. Yeah, that is insane to me. I mean, it it just seems improbable when you look back a few years and now today, it's Mm -hmm. like 11 years old, six, eight, and they're always on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because our children's brains don't stop developing until around our mid-20s, it can really impact us, uh, them. Tell us about how this becomes kind of a dependency and more than just even a social interaction. The same neurological chemical that stimulated when someone takes like cocaine is the same neurological chemical that stimulated when individuals are playing in the video game world, the social media world, um, looking at videos, it's dopamine. And the reason that the cell phones are addictive is because dopamine goes into the synapses of the brain, not when you receive something, but when you anticipate the reception. 
So think about it. The minute your phone goes off, what do kids want to do? They want to look. We're the same. We get a text mm-hmm. message. We don't leave it alone because the minute something stimulates our brain, we want to receive that. It's like getting candy. So every time they level up in a video game, every time they get a new Snapchat, every time they get a new TikTok video, every time they get a text message, then dopamine is sent into the synapses, which spikes and gives you a high, but then it pulls back out. And so those kids' brains are on this roller coaster ride all day long, dopamine in, dopamine out. So there's a there's that crashing and then they're spiking. And so the way they get the high again is to go back over and over and over again. It's almost like my dog when I say the word treat. Mm-hmm. He just jumps up and he's ready to go. Exactly. And so our brain is the same, wired to receive pleasure. And that's that stimulation in that social media video game world. Yeah. Now they call it social media. However, it's probably almost anything but that at times. Uh, it's There's no bonding. There's no social yeah. to it. It's, it's almost like it's just this device that's eating up our time. Explain how this impacts the brain in our youth and, and why why do we call it social media? Because there's really nothing social about it at times. You know, that's a good question. I coined the phrase when I started lecturing on this that we've created the most social, antisocial generation of all time. Because we are socializing in an electronic world, but we're not embracing. And what happens is the neurological development of the brain, the brain grows from the back to the front, and it's based on what we do with our physical body. So for example, large muscle movement is so important for little kids because it's beneficial for the brain. And we're now seeing evidence-based research that shows delayed development in the cerebral cortex of the brain because young people are not engaging in the same type of tactile activities, um, face-to-face conversations, large muscle movement, being outside as the generations in the past. So it's not that the brain can't cut catch up, it's just being delayed because we're not doing the things that stimulate growth like the generations in the past. Right, and I would imagine that happens as soon as babies because when you start making faces at them, mm-hmm. they react to that, they learn from that facial behavior. Yes. Um, I don't know about uh, taking Snapchats or pictures or something, but I don't know that you learn from that other than replication. You know, the American PD, excuse me, <laughs> The American Pediatrics Association has issued a warning that children under the age of two should not be on electronic devices at all. I say under five, we're seeing increased rates of ADHD, reactive attachment disorder, anxiety, depression. You have little kids not being able to self-soothe because whenever they're upset, their parents hand them an electronic device. And so there's a lot of things that even the American Pediatrics Association says needs to change. The World Health Organization then followed that with recommendations based on age and time of usage. And many countries have even banned electronics within the classroom because they're seeing it impact the ability to learn and focus and concentrate. Well, it's very distractive. Now, how might this cause some people to feel even more alone, even though they might think they have friends out there on this social media? Well, because it's a fake world, right? Everybody posts perhaps what they think is the best or even the opposite. Sometimes extreme negative is posted. I mean, you look at bullying now in schools. The number one way in which bullying happens now is electronic and kids can't get away from it. And in that electronic world, people are more mean because Mm -hmm. there's no consequences. There's no reaction because the person's not sending in front of you. And so there's evidence-based research that shows that, especially for young women, any time more than two hours a day increases anxiety and depression by 70% in the social media world because it's a comparative world. Wow. And so you feel like you don't fit in. 
right. You don't look the right way. You don't talk the right way, act the right way. Um, so as parents, what can we do as a society to let our parents know that, that these are some serious problems, obviously with development and, the, and that, uh, we just need, we're developing something that really is what you call in your slides, perfect storm. Yeah. Well, we have to be mindful first of our own electronic use, right? I don't know about you, but I remember when that five and a half inch floppy came into the computer world, right? And we didn't have to type our term papers over and over again. We thought we were in heaven. Now we get mad if we have five or six windows open on our screen and they take longer than a couple seconds to load, right? So we've trained attention span. We've trained, we've changed the ability to wait and the ability to wait actually is neurologically beneficial for a kid's brain. So we need to know our own usage, and then we need to set parameters around usage in homes. I mean, they came in, and we thought it was a perfect way to track our children. We can know wherever they're at. Call them anytime. I don't know about you, but my parents just assumed you'd show up at 7 or 8 o'clock at night, and they just figured we were someplace with our friends. Now parents are tracking their kids wherever they're at, right? And so we have to realize that if we're going to hand them such a powerful device. We need to educate them about them and we need to set boundaries around usage and access. There is so much bad stuff along with the good stuff in that electronic world. Yeah. And so maybe uh, <coughs> uh, uh, that means time constraints or, or, you know, plug it in and leave it alone at night instead mm -hmm. of kitten in the middle of the night and eyeballing that phone when that little ding comes in. Yep. As a matter of fact, there's evidence-based research that shows just having your phone next to your bed disrupts your sleep, sleep rhythm, even if you're not looking at it. And the young people today are more sleep deprived than any other generation because parents think they go to bed at 10 or 12 o'clock at night, but they're up till two or three in the morning on their devices. I tell parents devices shouldn't be in bedrooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good kids idea. Kids need to sleep. That's a good idea. Um, now, I have heard this said that you need at least eight hugs a day. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. So when I did my dissertation, um, I worked on the impact of human connection and balancing anxiety and depression. So what I did is I did a research study at a university and I had students not change their electronic usage, but I have that had them get eight hugs a day for eight seconds each. And then I saw if it impacted their um, index of their depression, anxiety and per hug received their indexes in anxiety and depression went down by one. And so that's why I lecture on that, the eight hugs a day for eight seconds. That was actually my research that I did to prove that human connection can balance because electronics aren't going away. Mm. We need to set boundaries, but we need to go back to human face-to-face -face connection because that's the hormone oxytocin that's released when we connect face-to-face. -face. And so we need to get back to that. So besides social media, why are we seeing such an increase in anxiety and depression? Even before this, I think we were seeing an increase in that. And a lot of kids, even in their 20s right now, uh, appear to be anxious. And I don't want to go out in the crowds. I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the store. I don't want to help you shop mm -hmm. because the, there's some anxiety there. What is that? You know, that's a good question. I think there's a lot of parameters playing in that, but even like in COVID, the rates just went like up by 75%, the anxiety and the depression. One, I think it's we're playing with the perfectionistic world. Kids think that, that they have to be perfect. And so this increases a pressure that even when parents say they don't have to be perfect and yet they ground them if they get a C instead of an A. I think the neurological stimulation 
And I think the shifting away from nature that grounds us, I think there's just a lot of things. There's just this amazing pressure that you just can't be a kid. I mean, when I was a kid, I studied Idaho history, Mm. right? These kids have to have a global perspective of a world. And you think of the negative messages that they're bombarded with on a daily basis. And in my, in my time of growing up, if you happen to catch the news, you might've learned of something negative. They hear negative all day long. Right. And not to mention you have to be politically and socially correct these days or, or yeah, and I don't you even say know something. what that means. <laughs> I, I don't either. Cause I didn't grow up in that generation, yeah. but I do know that, that even my son will catch me on something and say, you can't say that. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, well, um, that was the way it was when I was a kid. So yeah. things have really changed out there. You yeah. know, do we let kids be kids? You know, when you think about that, I could just go play and my parents didn't have to be paranoid as to where I was at or I played night games or hide and seek or cops and robbers or whatever. And, and we don't see that for the generations today. Yeah. Um, so what's going to happen if we don't do something about this electronic generation? Do you fear that there might be more loneliness and, and, and is it apparent that this might be leading to increases in our problem with suicide? Most definitely. As a matter of fact, we see more isolation in our university students and in our high school students than ever before and higher, higher rates of suicide. And so I think if we don't shift back to some of those, you know, for lack of a better term, old fashioned values, we're definitely going to see the increase of that taking place. Yeah. And uh, your slide up there showed um, besides anxiety and depression, it also showed an increase in drug abuse and use and things to I think you, that they might think is for coping skills. Yeah. A lot of times any type of drug use with teenagers or even adults sometimes starts with trying to deal with anxiety or depression or chronic pain, right? The other thing we're seeing that's so interesting, especially on the college campuses, is this inability of of connection and an intimate level. So for example, during COVID um, and even now we're seeing date rape rates increase, domestic violence, child abuse. We're seeing a lot of research that shows that kids are really just kind of connecting to have sex, but not connecting because they're really an intimate relationship, a boyfriend and girlfriend, because of the electronic world. They see everything. Pornography is so pervasive. The messages are so wrong. You know, they, they, they take the image of young men and make them look like these buff, perfect men. They make and objectify women as objects. And so there's so much role confusion for kids right now that the isolation is just intensifying. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier about mental health um, during COVID. Did, did we see increases in problems with that then? Dramatic increases. As a matter of fact, going into covid Um, About one in five young people deal with um, a diagnosable mental health issue. And what we saw was like a 75% increase. And in the state of Utah, which is very interesting, I saw a research study on the coded requests for services in the state of Utah, anxiety, depression, treatment rates for kids from the ages of three to 23 in Utah went up by 300% during COVID. And for adults, we saw... Um, substance abuse and anxiety, depression go up by 45. So we saw some huge changes during the pandemic. Right. Um, nobody could touch each other and nobody could see each other's faces for smiling or anything. You had to wear a mask. That's, that's really lack of communication right there too. Um, Utah, we talked about this before, has a particularly high suicide rate among our youth and even college students. Mm-hmm. Can we'll we rank about fifth? Yeah. Can we blame this on our smartphones or when does it become a part of just a life 
or diagnosis? How do we figure that out? Well, I think it's really important that we start talking about mental health from a very positive perspective, what it really is, Mm -hmm. and that we're willing to go ask for help. You know, it used to be in the closet, but now it's not. And so it's really important that we start talking about mental health. Like our mental health is who we are. Mm -hmm. Mental health issues are like depression, anxiety. But we need to spend time every day on our mental health. And that's not in the electronic world. Yeah. What kinds of tools then do you offer parents to help keep their children more engaged even without, with or without cell phones? Well, human connection needs to increase. You know, one of the things of the pandemic was not only did we lose human connection, like you talked about, we didn't go to churches, we didn't go to gyms, we didn't go to restaurants, we didn't go into the national parks. We just didn't do a lot of the things that help balance us. And we got, it was interesting. I even had kids say, I want my friends back. I want face to face. And this is the electronic world. And even they felt it like, I need people. So I tell parents have set times when the phones go on in the morning and go off. You need to regulate what's on that phone. You need to set passwords and parameters. You own it, mm-hmm. not your kids. You right. can take it away. You need to go back to playing board games. You need to go back to camping. You need to get outside. You need human connections. Like I jokingly say, like I had a dad in Heber say, well, boys don't want you to hold them. And I said, wrestling is legal in the United States. Take them to the ground appropriately and then hold them. You know, teenagers need to be held as much as little kids. And so that human connection, there's research that shows in communities that are more communal, Like, you know, in Italy and places, they're much more affectionate. You know, they kiss on the lips. I'm not recommending that. But what I'm saying is, is they're much more physical and they don't have the same rates. We've got to have that human touch and human connection. Yeah. It's just like bonding to a baby. Mm -hmm. If it's not held when it's younger and when it's a baby, there's been proof that shows that it's disconnected and it has problems the rest of its life. And sometimes it can actually die. Yeah. Mm It dies from not being held. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have a program you, um, have put out a, a 365 mental health a mm-hmm. day thing. Tell us about that. So we recognized that we've got to start talking about mental health from a way that's informative to communities like corporations, students, uh, first responders. So we created a program that does micro learning, like three minute videos a day about mental health topics, decision making. And then we do assessments, a wellness check in once a week, because as we check in, and are mindful and it goes from four areas of our mental health social emotional cognitive and physical that's our mental health so we ask people every day what are you doing socially what are you doing emotionally physically and cognitively because you only get one computer one brain and i don't think we're doing brain transplants yet so we've got to take care of this computer and that's what that whole program is about is micro learning on a daily basis to help stabilize kids and adults but that is using the cell phone correct It is, but what we're doing is we're using videos, live videos, and then a question, and then a weekly wellness assessment, and then we have a challenge for them to interact with their parents and learn. Because whether we like it or not, they're not going away. So we need to use them to empower our mental health, not just impact our mental health. So you can do the check mark on that one. Mm -hmm. So when is it time to, you know, just before they check out, um, get work towards a licensed professional. How do we know when we're, when we just got to say, Hey, enough is enough. I can't help you anymore. And you need to go get 
you know, help. You know, our evidence-based research shows that 90% of people that go see a therapist start to feel better. doesn't mean they're cured. And, you know, I'm biased, but I think everybody can benefit from talking from a therapist. So if parents see a change in behaviors, if parents are even concerned, go visit with a mental health professional. It's not going to cause any damage, but it definitely can help. I think there's a little bit of a stigma about that, though, don't you? About sure. if I go see somebody and talk to a, for lack of better words, a shrink, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, uh, that that I'm going to be looked down upon. If yeah, I go ask for help or reach out for help, and that's what our program is about, is reaching out for help, reaching out for hope, getting that assurance that we need to do this, but there's still a stigma there is and you know what's fun though in these younger generations there isn't teenagers are much more open to go see a therapist than the generations of the past and so it's interesting this generation research shows is much more accepting and much more open heck you walk down any hallway and every kid has depression and every kid has anxiety but they don't know what they're talking about and so we need to get them to see therapists so they understand like i have kids coming to my office and say dr kane i'm depressed and i go Really? And then I read the criteria and they go, I don't have that. Uh And I go, no, you don't meet the diagnosis. And so parents need to get correct, accurate information. It's so important. Right. Where can we find out more information about these apps and the things that you, that you're working on? So specifically for the app, my my website is 360 Focus Mental Health. So 360focusmentalhealth.com. And then my therapy clinic is drchristykane.com, just drchristykane.com. Right. And you also have a book that you've written. Tell us a little bit about Fractured Souls and Splintered Memories and what is this about? So this is a opportunity to, when you said kind of like that stigma of mental health, this book was written to give people a really good picture into the therapeutic process. What does a therapist and a client do? You know, we send people to therapy and people go, what do you do in the office? Like it's a hidden secret. And so this book is a true story of a person seeking to heal from some mental health issues and what happens between her and her therapist. What is she assigned to do and how does she go about healing? And where do you find this? It's for sale. I know it's in Costco. I know it's on Amazon. It's a Deseret book. Um, those are places where it's for sale right now. Wow. And you're pretty popular out there. I know you're um, visiting here in St. George, going to be doing some speaking and stuff. Tell us about uh, how do people find you and, and, and what do you talk about? Is it mainly about social media? I talk about mental health right now. That's a big topic and understanding it because we're in such a mental health crisis. You know, we hit a pandemic and a lot of people lost loved ones, which was terrible. More people are impacted because of mental health than the pandemic. So I lecture about what mental health is, what can you do to get help? Then I do the electronics. And then the another fun topic right now I've been asked to speak on is healthy sexuality and understanding what that is in this electronic world. Yeah, and that's a bigger topic than I want to take on today for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, we we really appreciate that you've, you've decided to, to reach out. Um, you, have you spoken all over the world or where do you go? Um, I pretty much have spoken across the United States. I haven't gone outside the United States, but uh, I usually end up at professional conferences or end up at schools or parent organizations, just depending on who contacts me and asks me to come. And then you do vodcasts like here and yeah. podcasts. Yes, I do. Really appreciate the fact that you're doing that and reaching out and helping. Any last thoughts real quickly about what you'd like to say to people out there um, with what we've talked about today? 
I love that you're doing this and you're bringing awareness. And I think the big factor, like you said, is don't be afraid to talk and don't be afraid to ask. So many times people say, well, what if you don't know what to say? Silence is a killer. Yeah. All we have to do is talk. And even if we say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here, I'm willing to take you, I'm willing to do whatever. If we can start talking about it with correct information, we can continue to make an impact. Well, there and be there for people. Mm -hmm. Um, Listen. I think listening is even actually sometimes more important than talking because you've got to listen before you hear what Mm -hmm. someone's problems really are. And sometimes they might want to reach out and they're giving little hints and bits of clues of what the problem is. But people are, like you said, have that split second on their mind that they're, they're just not really paying attention to really deeply listen and focus in on a conversation and hear what people are saying rather than skimming over the top of it might give us clues on what's really going on. I agree. That's why we have two ears and one mouth, right? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's why that is. Yep. (laughs) I'd just like to say thank you again for uh, your website again is Dr. Christy Kane. Christy Kane. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And we hope that uh, you'll uh, be helping people all across the world and they can help you even here in the United States across the world. Thank Thank you, you. Christy, for joining us. And again, our our guest was Dr. Christy Kane. For more information, you can see information on the screen, drchristykane.com or her 360 Focus Mental Health and uh, 385-223-0777 is her um, information. Thanks so much for watching and we hope you reach out and get some help. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Reach for Hope Coalition wants you to know that we care about you and we are here to help. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, reach out. You're not alone. To access resources for yourself or others, visit our webpage at reachforhopeutah.org. That's reach, the number four, hopeutah.org. If you are experiencing a crisis, please call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK because you matter and there is always hope. This has been a production from a podcast studio.